unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time we are doing another special. It's not one, it's two films, two totally bodacious films. Bill and Ted, excellent adventure, and the sequel, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, in anticipation of the upcoming sequel, Bill and Ted Face the Music. So what's this episode going to be about, George? Well, you know, it's going to be about time travel. It's going to be about personal hells. It's going to be about music, facing your fears, and just being excellent to each other. Saving the world, saving the babes, you saving name it. Babes. Yeah. And a, a, a time travel film that Christopher Nolan would be happy with. So, um, yeah, it's just not as complicated. So we will be spanning two decades because the first film came out in 1989. The second one followed uh, 1991. George and I were obviously at ripe ages when these came out. So we'll probably cover off uh, the first memories and what it was like to go back first off. Uh, then we'll doing the usual um, production chat of what made these films a possibility. We'll probably split those up, right, George? We'll probably do production. You would cover each film independently? Yes. Excellent Adventure has quite a considerable production background. Focus Journey less so. It's more straightforward being a, a sequel. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we are we're still remote. We're still in some form of lockdown. So we apologize in advance for any audio issues. We try and clean this up as best as we can uh, in, in, the, in the edit. So, yeah, I mean, anyone who's uh, not listened before, I uh, hope you enjoy the show. And here's a quick word from George on some general housekeeping. Thank you, Charlie. So uh, Retro Ramble is a film podcast. Uh, Charlie and I are brothers, and this podcast is about uh, us going back and rediscovering the films that we grew up with, the films that we loved, and just seeing, you know, do they still hold up nowadays? Uh, What is their relevance today? What we liked about them? What made them, you know, so unique? And we'll be going into them in detail, so there will be spoilers from the very off. Charlie and I will, will try and be, be funny and maybe throw in some bad impressions uh, your way as well. And there may be some, some strong language, so uh, we would advise listening when small people aren't around. Um, in, terms, in terms of being funny, that is not to be confused with comedic. We will be funny in a strange way. We funny will in be a weird way. Remi- in a weird way. We'll be, rem- we'll be going back to tapping into the immaturity of the years we had when we watched these films the first time. And that's a very good point, Charlie, because this is, you know, we always state that this is a light-hearted look back. There will be some film trivia in there, but if you are looking for a critical appraisal of these films, you are listening in the wrong place. As we always say, it's a bit like revisiting an old friend. So shall we get cracking? Let's get cracking with the knacking. So um, we're jumping in the telephone booth. There's no need. We've got our own self-made time machine. We've got Rufus... And uh, we're going to have to go and save the world with rock and roll. So here we go. It's Bill and Ted's for Simplicity 1 and 2. Enjoy the show. Enjoy. Now, a motion picture so grand... (gasps) 
so magnificent and so vast, it spans 7,000 years. No way! Yes way! But it starts with Bill. I'm Bill S. Preston! Who was Joan of Arc? And Ted. Noah's wife? We're in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. A force from the future. Can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Is putting history at their fingertips. Let's reach out and touch someone. They're traveling through time. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the Iron Maiden. Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. How's it going, dude? And they're making a big impression. Historical babes. Now they're home. Everybody get together and remember who your buddy is. To trash the 20th century. We got a live one here. Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, Napoleon. We're from history. Billy the Kid. Oh my God. Joan of Arc. Sigmund Freud. Tell me about your mother. You a musician? Beethoven. Genghis Khan! Abraham Lincoln. Party on, dudes! Socrates. George Carlin. We're history. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <gasps> Bill and Ted's... Excellent! Excellent! Excellent adventure. Party on, dude. So, George, how did we get these two beautiful movies? Well, before we get into um, the use... Sorry, I should say excellent, excellent movies. Excellent movies. Bodacious. Before we get into them, I think it's worth stepping ahead a bit. Don't need to go back, but maybe we should talk about our first memories of these films because they came out quite close together, but you and I have differing opinions of what they saw first. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to level with you. I, I can't remember. I, I want to say I saw them chronologically, but there's this voice in my head going, no, you jumped on the popularity train. You saw the, I, I think I saw the second one at the cinema and I loved it so much. I went back and saw, but with the delay of U, US films coming over, well, that's, I, I think that's forgivable. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm sort of trying to get my head around because I remember the when Bo, uh, Bogus Journey came out in the UK, it was a big deal. I don't know if just because we were the right age and what have you, but I remember, I don't know if, I, if we saw it together, but I remember seeing it with, with my friends. So I remember seeing it, I think, with Tom and maybe James and we loved it and w- watched it loads. And then I think someone even had to say, oh yeah, but there's... The, you know, there's another one. They, that's, done my, one. That's, my, that's my recollection of it as well. It, it was almost like the voice somebody else said, you know, there's this other one. And I think that's why we've always looked at it in the, the way that you're describing. That the, and it was because the age we were at. And also, if you go back to 89, how long would have it taken for a well, film in the US to come out, to get onto to video, and to get to the UK? You're talking well, about 18, well, 18 months, aren't you? At least. So, so, yeah, that's the other thing I'm going to say. Probably... I don't know how much of a, a cinema release Excellent Adventure had in the UK, but as you say, th- this was you know a long time ago when films would take, there would be that window between theatrical release and home entertainment release. You know, this is 
that would have been two years and was like you know cable or sky that was even later so yeah i think sky was 90 i have sky in my head as like 89 or, 90 or, it was about this sort of time even 91 you know so. you might oh, i might be getting it backwards i think it might have been home release within a year and then it would have been on cable slash uh, Sky, you know, home box office, whatever you want to call it, wherever you are in the world, probably within two years of cinema release. And obviously that window has massively changed and it's getting shorter all the time. But yeah, I don't, I don't think the first one in the UK definitely had that, that impact. But for some reason, the second one did. And I say, I remember loving Bogus Journey and rediscovering Excellent, well, discovering Excellent Adventure after the fact, after I'd seen Bogus Journey a lot more. And at that time, and I think we talked about this in our Turtles episode uh, from a few months ago, it was, I don't know if it's that age you're at or the time we were in, but you were always of that opinion that the sequel's always better. Oh, it's always better to watch yeah. And also like Turtles, this is a film that for whether you call it, you attach it to a certain maturity that you haven't gone back to. I can't remember, I haven't watched this film in 20 years uh, either of these films in 20 years and I thoroughly enjoyed going back to them uh, I know you've got a lot to say about the first one but yeah I think I think we're both on the same I think that's probably got something to do with how they were released so it wasn't awful uh, it wasn't I awful. think we would have we were it wasn't awful um, but yeah we, I think we watched them watched them backwards but appreciate them and yes the 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 original still holds up like any original it's it's natural it's organic there's got the there's some great performances in it, but I think there was more money. I, I have the impression, and I'm sure George is going to go into this, but there was more money and hoopla thrown at the second one. So, oh, oh definitely. Um, that's, the, that's the first thing I noticed watching the two. I haven't watched, I don't think I've ever watched the two like back to back. And I, I didn't do it this time, but I watched them fairly close together. And there's definitely a massive jump up in in budget. It feels like a lot slicker. A lot more confident um whereas and again i think that might have been the thing that that put us off watching or you know excellent adventures like oh it's you know it looks a bit old and crappy uh, yeah there was there was there was that sort of thing whereas the other one was all shiny and new and future more futuristic and yeah it was it was expanding it and uh, i do but i think if you put the two films together it's almost like you've got film student attempt and studio it almost does look like that it's not yeah. obviously that's not giving it enough credit but um so should we oh, do you, i think that's pretty much first memories covered off so should we jump into the production chat of bill and ted's excellent adventure why not? Why not? So uh, how did it all begin? We've already posted about this on social media, haven't we, George? About the auditions. Is that uh, where you want to start or are you going to go even further back? I'm going to go even further back. Um, okay, I'm just going to strap myself in. Right, essentially, Bill and Ted is down to the, the creations of screenwriters Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson. So they are a, a writing double act and they've done um a few films together um ed solomon's done a few well and they've done some films separately uh so ed solomon would go on to uh write men in black and he's also written the now you see me films about those you know those magician con artist movies but yeah this was something they were at uni together or i don't know if it was uni or film school um, but it essentially began as a stand-up routine. And they, they basically hired this um, theater space and it was like a, an improv stand-up thing. And one of the skits that they came up with involved three guys sitting around trying to study, but they 
were having chatting about stuff mainly about like world affairs but they didn't have a clue what they were talking about and (laughs) for some reason the third guy that they roped in he lost interest after like a few weeks or or a few times of doing it but they carried on doing it and it became became something that they did like as a a stand-up routine and then they started trying to channel it into a script and their original idea was it was going to be more of a sketch format and the the time travel aspect was going to be one of many sketches so but funnily enough chris matheson so one of the writers his father is richard matheson who's a famous author probably most famous for writing the novel i am legend and and he said um when he was when uh, chris was taking his dad through it he's like that's there's, there's too much going on he's like that that time travel bit sounds like a whole movie and Chris Masson was like, you've got a point. So they they then sort of stripped it down and said, okay, these two surfer-type high school idiots have to go back in time and are visiting all these historical figures. So the initially, <laughs> you're going to like this, the initial title of the film was Bill and Ted's Time Van because they travel back in time in a van owned by a guy called uh, Rufus, and uh, it was a special van that could travel back in time. And he had a, a, a dog called Dog Rufus. So I don't know, in the mid 80s, could you see it being a bit of an issue about having a, a vehicle that's a, a time traveling device? Yeah, I could see that probably ruffling a few feathers. Um, so obviously, no, this was, they were writing it early 80s. And, uh, then, okay. and then obviously, Back to the Future came out. But it's funny to look, uh, looking at time travel devices, um, you know, whether or not, uh, or, or, well, as we talked about in back to the future, that was originally supposed to be a fridge in one of the very early drafts. And then they didn't want children climbing inside fridges. Yeah. Uh, that would be dangerous. Um, no, I think in terms of, yeah, the, there's something about it. How do I put this? There's, there's something about the phone booth. Being the, obviously, we are British. You know, we are. We grew up with Doctor Who, uh, so we are very familiar with people stepping into a TARDIS. And that, that kind of, I think, talks about the zeitgeist of the time during the eighties. That there are all these. Uh, I'm in a glass cage of emotion. You know, it was very much a time period piece. Was this idea that you go into a glass booth and you make a call and you connected with somebody on the other side of the world? And it was this amazing thing. And I think that's why it's a very clever. Uh, device to use as a time travel thing. You make the call, you travel. But when I watched it this recently, I was like, God, this has been used so many times. And what it is, as I think the whole phone matrix, traveling yeah. in now the matrix by phone, and I think, and the, the phone booth and stuff like that, I think it's been used so much since then, but this is probably quite a fresh idea. Back well, in, back I mean, that, that's the thing. It's, it's funny that they, and I think it's, it's stated in when I was researching this, you know, you know, that they obviously were conscious of, they didn't want to be too similar to Back to the Future, so they scrapped it. But as you said, you know, there's a a time-travelling thing that's been going on for a lot longer, and that's Doctor Who. But I don't know if they just thought that wasn't as zeitgeisty and as a sort of global recognition. But I think the the whole actual um, phone booth idea came from the director, Stephen Herrick, um, who um, basically thought just from the 
uh, comedic aspect of trying to ram in as many people into a <laughs> phone box as, as possible. Like, I think it was a bit of a, like a student prank, you know, how many people could you squeeze in? So yeah, Stephen Herrick was the, the director that got the job and he claims that apparently the script was doing the rounds. He said like everyone had read it. He thought it was one of those things that would be absolutely brilliant or a, you know, a, a complete commercial failure. So he, um, I think the first film he did and the, the reason that he got the job, he did uh, the first Critters movie. Right. I knew there was a connection with the Critters franchise. Um, so, um, so yeah, that he, he did Critters before this and then he would go on to have quite a, um, quite a solid career. I mean, he did, um, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. And then he did loads of films. Basically, I think he was sort of became Disney's go-to guy because he did the mighty ducks, the, the three musketeers, the, um, 101 Dalmatians. Uh, Those are all good films. Yeah. Those are all good family films. I mean, um, Emilio Estevez is probably one of the highlights of his career. Um, it was a big film, Mighty Ducks. It, was, yeah. it did very well. Yeah, no, it's, it's quite beloved. I mean, I, I, I don't have the, the sort of affection for it. but uh, as No, me neither. I just know that it's loved. But, uh, I know, I, yeah, I know, I know it's, it's loved. It in- has, has a lot of uh, affection. So, uh, but the interesting thing was, so we're getting to the, the, the part you're talking about, casting. So, yeah, as we shared on our Facebook page uh, the other week, they recently, I mean, very cannily to tie in with the release of the new one, they, uh, as the footage has been uh, released of the original auditions for Bill and Ted showing the various actors um, that could have been Bill and Ted and them auditioning with Keanu Reeves. So you see Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter together, but you also see them auditioning with other people. Um, I won't go into who they are because we'll save that for coulda, woulda, shoulda. Um, but essentially, in the um, Ed Solomon says in their original script, they envisioned um, Bill and Ted as 14-year-old skinny guys with low rider bell bottoms and heavy metal t-shirts who were despised by the popular uh, kids at school. But they said as soon as they auditioned um, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, they just... Like they brought became something. they became they became Bill and Ted, but they brought something to it, like something different. And they, he said, um, you know, once you cast Alex and Keanu, they look like pretty cool guys, and it was hard to believe that they would be despised by anyone. Um, and let's I'll go make on. them stupid. Let's make them stupid. <laughs> well, I think they were always going to be stupid, but I think it was the fact that yeah, that it never really touches on that the fact that they are sort of outcasts at school. They just kind of. Yeah, they're just stupid and they just get by with that sort of blind optimism. Um, But it was an independent movie, so they had to save money where they could in terms of filming. So they filmed in Arizona instead of California. Um, I was really intrigued watching Excellent Adventure to work out where in the world are we when they're doing the the timepieces? Because oh, there was some brilliant. Uh, it's like where in California or where in Arizona? Now that you've said that, yeah, where in America are we trying to pretend it's France? <laughs> yeah, but no, that's thing. I was I was um, I was trying to work out. So um, apparently, it was all filmed uh, in and around. They they had enough budget to film in Rome for ten days. So they filmed um, the castle, like basically most of the time travel bits. So the bits with uh, they meet the the princesses in England that in Italy um, the fancy music room where Beethoven's playing the square where they pick up Freud definitely looks very European um, and obviously the, um, the building that's supposed to be the Parthenon where they meet uh, Socrates yeah um, Socrates <laughs> Socrates 
I'm, I'm probably going to call him Socrates, so I may as well get it out of the way. I think we should just call him Socrates from now on because I don't think he, he's, that, he's that philosophical. I don't think he'd care. The fact that you're remembering him is enough. So speaking of the, um, there's, there's obviously loads of historical figures in this, um, but in, in earlier drafts, there was a f- quite a few other historical figures that were in that that just didn't make the final cut. So that included uh, George Washington, Babe Ruth, um, and Amelia Earhart, who was, uh, I think, the first woman to like fly across the continent, I think, or fly, or fly between America and uh, England. But arguably, the most notable <laughs> person that was excluded was Adolf Hitler. And um, they, <laughs> they said that they had some really good jokes and, and some good ideas and funny jokes around the concept. But then they quickly realized maybe people might be uh, put off by the leads having a good old time mucking about with Hitler. Hey, that's good crazy. <laughs> um, but I suppose, you know, you look at, I still haven't seen it, but there's, there's Jojo Rabbit that kind of does that. But uh, yeah, it is that I think that would be quite offensive. But um, Too soon. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> is it's, it too soon? It's, it's too soon. But um, it's unsurprising to, to hear that they channeled a lot of those jokes into what became Napoleon as well. So yeah him being a little little dictator um uh, but uh, let's also not forget they had they did spend a lot of time with the lovable genghis khan who was responsible for butchering millions of people as well in real life and who genghis i, I, I get the feeling that the actor who played him is almost more famous than genghis khan is that al young <laughs> it's, it's our man al young from our man al young and Big Trouble, uh, among, and Lethal Weapon. Um, and many, many, many other films. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll get to him. We'll, we'll, talk about, okay. uh, we'll, we'll talk about Crazy Genghis Khan later on. Um, I'm just getting to the end of uh, production chat, so, so don't worry. Um, this is a bit I found really interesting, and I think it ties into... It gives us a bit of reasoning to our first memories. So... Filming was completed in 1987, but uh, the film's original finances, uh, the DeLaurentis group, went bankrupt, and the film was in danger of just being dumped onto cable television. But another production company came in uh, called Nelson Entertainment, and they bought the rights. And then, along with uh, Orion, who you know have been responsible for a lot of classic 80s films like uh, RoboCop. Um, they distributed it, so but they didn't distribute it until 1989. So essentially, it was kind of sat on the shelf for two years, and then obviously the sequel was two, you know, typical sequel time two years later. But in reality, there'd actually been four years between Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. So that's why Excellent Adventure does look a little bit older than it is, and that's why. I was going to say it ex- explains the both of the gap why it was so recent to us, and also why they look so different. Exactly, exactly. It would go on to be uh, Orion's highest-grossing picture that year in 1989, to earn uh, 40 million off a 10 million dollar budget. Excellent. So yes, that is the the main bulk of the production chat. But yeah, should we should we get into sort of what are your your thoughts on when you sort of revisited Excellent Adventure? Uh, no, thoroughly enjoyed it. As I said, I've uh, I've made a few notes on both films, but not as much as I would normally. And I think part of the reason of that is that 
this film has, these films have a special place in my heart. I don't know why. Uh, just we, I guess we were target audience, you know, we were tapped in. So, so going back and watching this film, it, it's, it is very much the full nostalgia trip. It's not, uh, I remember watching this when I was a student and I was, you know, I knew how the world worked. This was still very much when I didn't know how the world worked, you know? So yeah. it was, it was an introduction to a lot of things. And it's like, yeah, there's this, uh, like to put things into perspective, I didn't know who uh, Socrates was. No, I was just going to say um, the same thing. When, when I watched, when I watched this film the, the first time around, I then went on to, to study uh, philosophy very, for my A-levels. And so, yeah, I've, I've spent hours poring over Socrates' work and his letters, lesser student, Plato. I think that's how you yeah. pronounce it. But um, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, that gives you an eye into where we were when we first watched uh, this. So, yeah, going back to it, yeah, yes, it, it looks dated, but it, it's just... I think what, what I think the the two we'll get onto this when we talk about Bogus Journey, but they don't change the characters. They 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 they've got no. their and it's a very interest, interesting concept to talk about. I I've written down um, it's almost like imagine Homer Simpson and his buddy when they were teenagers. It's that sort of lovable, fluffy. Uh, there's there's so much comedy to go around. I think of Joey from Friends. You know, yes, it's the comedy device, but it's done really well. And I can't. So just to finish off, I can't remember which film this was in. Uh, where the director was going, no, no, more, more Labrador, more Labrador, because they were like saying they're like puppies, mm. and they are kind of like that. And being shown the film through these two protagonists. And obviously with the backdrop of rock and roll and, you know, Van Halen, whatever. And that was very, you know, trendy music of the time. Uh, it's so relatable. It's so easy to, to follow these characters. And, and because you feel smarter than them, you, it's, it's more funny for some reason. And uh, no, I think that's it. Like going back, watching these films and it's, it's really apt in the, the current uh, climate that we find ourselves in. It's the fact that they, yes, they are so stupid, but it's that blind optimism. And, yeah. and it's the fact that, as you say, they don't really learn anything. You know, I mean, obviously they, they, they learn enough to pass their history test and what have you, but the characters don't really develop. They still have that sort of, oh yeah, we're, we're the greatest <laughs> band ever, but they suck. Um, and, <laughs> But they have a a believable friendship. You know, it's a really touching friendship that the fact that like, you know, you can see Bill is the sort of the cynical one and, you know, T Ted, Keanu Reeves, it's <laughs> just the blind optimist of like, hey, everything's great. Um, and it's, it's funny that like Alex Winter says that, he thinks that that was the reason why they they kind of got the the roles because they brought a certain sincerity to the characters where everyone else that was auditioning for it was like trying to just like was lampooning and like a bit like you know as you say that that Joey Tribbiani that was just playing the clown and there wasn't any sort of genuine character underneath it and he said you know that him and uh, Keanu Reeves were both from theatre backgrounds and they were trying to marry that clownish type theatricality with a sincere take and they would whereas they you know reeves and winter were generally trying to get into bill and ted's very <laughs> very air heads you know very light heads and it really does shine through that you know they are you know they're, they're not malicious people they're just trying to get the job done and it's their stupidity that's kind of slowing them down yeah and, and almost they're they're 
what they bring to the world has got them in, into the position that they're in, but they have to get out of it. Mm. Uh, sorry to dive back into production chat, but what did what's what's Alex Winter been doing since? Because I just I remember when we did Lost Boys. Was that just last Halloween? It seems like a long time ago. A it long, was just last long time ago. Yeah, pre COVID, last twenty nineteen, when the world was like you know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, and I remember thinking like seeing him in uh, the Lost Boys and just thinking, oh God, yeah, he's he's got such a thing about him, so charismatic, so but very physical. He's a very physical mm. actor, and both both. Both of them, I think, um, and obviously, I, I you know I did a bit of research into into these films before you know chatting through with you just to see what the sensible people were saying. Um, well, we were we were teenagers, or I think we were ten or eleven or whatever. Um, and they also say it's amazing to see the range. This this film sells Keanu Reeves' range more than anything else. It's like you see him play this role. You never see Keanu Reeves do this again. You see mature versions of this, but you don't see. He's so physical. He's all over the place. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Um, and it's the same with Alex Winter. They, they have this sort of thing and they're just, I, I find them really relatable. Like they look obviously slightly older than the ages that they are portraying. But it's like, it's so the problems that you have to deal with as a teenager. I mean, yes, you don't have the time machine. Yes, you don't get to back in history. Yeah, but if I don't do that, then my mom's going to be pissed and my dad's going to send me to military. You know, it's, it's like, it's so like basic but relatable yeah. i loved it i loved it and, for that uh, yeah it's over yeah there yeah but mom we've got a history house you've got to do your chores first <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um but no um i haven't done a huge amount of uh research on what alex winter has been up to but i remember reading years ago like in the 90s that he basically and everyone's saying oh you know what has he done with himself and nobody yeah, he's gone behind the camera hasn't well he? that's he's it yeah he he, he makes production he's made a lot of uh, very like low budget you know and that's n- not to say it's a bad thing but he's done loads of artists arty indie films and he's done I think he's done music videos and things like that but he's yeah he's, he's really, made a living he's made a living in film and he's, no, yeah, he's, 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 he's definitely got by you know obviously Keanu's had this very you know Keanu Reeves has pretty always always been pretty much in the limelight. Um, yeah, you know, he had a little break, and then he had, came back. Had a little break in the sort of early noughties, but um, but now he's are you working again, John? I, I think, yeah, I th- yeah. I'd say I'd say he's working again. I think, I think he's he's, he's back. He's back. Yeah, but yes, I mean, I think there's. Um, there's a lot of things that I love about um, going back and watching this one, watching Excellent Adventure. I love the fact that the future looks so 80s. <laughs> I, I, wanna, I was actually going to talk about that in the second film, uh, but now I will talk about... No, I think it is this film. It's like, I love the future that the 80s foresaw for us. <laughs> yeah, and um, the other thing, um, I, I may be jumping to the end, but you know when they're like looking at the future visions of Bill and Ted, there's like holograms of them playing the guitar <laughs> and they're, they're futuristic outfits they're just both wearing flasher max it's like that's yeah. all the budget they had it's like just put a couple of trench coats on them it's fine yeah what, it's, oh, and that's not that's not weird yet that's not oh, a weird oh, thing have we not got any tinfoil we could put on them? nope don't worry about that <laughs> don't worry about that but yeah, the um the historical scenes are, are clearly stretching the budget that that location work and but it, it's passable it's passable for no but it's it's almost like it's it's all just part of the setup because for me, the thing I love about Excellent Adventure and the thing that I still laugh at is 
the that fish out of water stuff is when they bring all the historical figures back to present day 80s and they all just go yeah, it just turns to chaos um but i mean you are you do get, you get some some fun bits like i completely forgot about um the bit where they're just dicking around in the night cost you know in their knight's armor and they're playing star wars <laughs> <laughs> and apparently that came um out of uh improv and you can kind of, you can totally see it because it is just so sort of, <laughs> Natural. It's the kind of thing that two teenagers would do. Is like, I am Darth Tet. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I say I think it does just quickly build to the okay. Yeah, we've grabbed them from such and such, and let's go back to the eighties. And as we touched on uh, in Weird Science, every good eighties movie must have a scene at the mall. Oh yeah, yeah. Man, that's the internet. And there. I think he even says, I think. Ted even says, "Is like this is where all human interaction occurs." I can't get. I, I just there's, there's so much of it. I think. Um, I mean, for me, what I love is the, and it's not really touched on because everyone there's there's a few things you can always pick apart at a time travel thing. So, oh, well, it wouldn't be possible for Marty McFly to go back and do this. And it wouldn't be that. And in Bill and Ted's, they do this great joke, and they do it in both films. Like, yeah, but. Uh, what we have to do is at the end of this, we have to use the time travel and we go back and we give ourselves that. And it just becomes this brilliant device, how they break out of the prison and have it. And they use it in the second film as well. And it's just like, it is the one thing about time travel that is like... The paradox. That, that is, they, they, they use the paradox to their advantage, don't they? But it's a, it's a comedy thing. And it's the way that the, you've got these two, as I say, these two puppies. Experience. Hey, why don't we just, when we've done all this, okay, so we have to remember, and it's funny because even something as intellectual and highbrow as Rick and Morty has even done that in the Snakes one. Because at the very end of the episode, oh, they I have to- watch that again. <laughs> they, 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 they have to go back and, and say, yeah, you've got to make the snake suits and Morty's got the black eye. And it's like, you, we, because that's what, it says, what are you doing? What, what are you doing, Rick? He says, mm, I'm just reminding myself to invent time travel. And it's, it's, <laughs> and then suddenly he just appears out of nowhere. And that's from Bill and Ted. I mean, yes, it's obviously a time travel uh, conundrum, but I just, I think it's funny to see how they handle it in Bill and Ted with them saying, cool, let's do it with the keys. Let's do it with this. It's, it's, yeah, a, very it's good, a very a good joke. It's an odd one though, because they kind of, no time travel film, or I think we could tie ourselves in knots trying to say a time travel film that doesn't contradict itself or, you know, the, the rules are, you know, flawed. But in this one, it's, there's all of that. But then they say, Rufus says the thing at the start that they've got to get all these people, but whilst they're going back in time, the clock's still running. You know, right. they, they, they've still got to get back. Oh, they've only got the weekend. They've only yeah. got the weekend to do it. I think that's the yeah. thing. I think is the what's interesting. Yeah. So they they kind of set their own little time travel but, uh, rules. Yeah, but as you say, it's it's um it's so much fun. So much going on in that mall scene. You've got Joan of Arc. <laughs> Joan of Arc, or is it Wyona Ryder? I thought it looked like Wyona Ryder, but it's not. Um, she's doing aerobics. <laughs> She's no. from um, she's from a group, a music group. Is it Go Go? Yeah, some sort of punk. She was band, big at the time. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So yeah, she she's doing uh, taking of the aerobics class again. Another eighties, you know, uh, touch point. Uh, I love it how Socrates or Socrates is just up for anything, and he's on the pool with Billy the Kid. Yeah, yeah, they're just scouting for chicks. Um, <laughs> Beethoven's doing a music store jam, which again seems like an 80s trope because I'm sure they do that in 80s forgotten classic vice versa as well. Just having a jam in the music store. 
And in big and in Wayne's World, and in Wayne's World, they kind of hit it on the head. They're like, no stairway yeah. to heaven. Look at yeah. the sign. <laughs> you know, there's no certain jam. I think it was a sort of 80s, 90s thing of jamming, jamming uh, live in the store. Uh, and of course, as we've, we've talked about, we've got lovable uh, mass murderer, tyrant, uh, Genghis Khan going nuts in the sports goods store. But he's. Because what? Does he replace his axe for a baseball bat or something? Yeah, and he's, so he's like, he's biting on the metal bat. He's like, oh. but Al Young just brings such a it's probably his biggest role because he's always well in most cases he's sidelined to he's a goon he's a goon Um, but he's he's brilliant in this and he brings such yeah physicality and a well a bit like you're saying a bit of like a a Labrador like a puppiness to to uh, someone that wasn't probably a very nice person in in real life but Napoleon's done as well is it the thing with the ice cream Uh, it's just his face and doesn't he go swimming (laughs) and he's just away he's like yeah. I thought he did very. He's a, he's a renowned actor, by the way. He's made quite a few films. Is he? Is he actually a French? He just pulled in. No, no, he's been in. He's been in a few films. I don't know if he's uh, French. I just know that he's got. I looked on IMDb. I was like, has he been in anything? Whereas Billy the Kid's photo on IMDb is Billy the Kid from Bill and Ted's, and that's when you know yeah. that was the height of their career. Whereas no, the guy who plays Napoleon. He's got. Uh, he's done a few films. Well, the guy who plays uh, Socrates. Um, has a well a a cameo in Scrooged. He's the guy that's the waiter that's serving Bill Murray, you know, and he's got the soup and it's like with the eyeballs in, and then he thinks yeah. he's on fire and he chucks the the water on him. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were Richard Pryor. <laughs> oh, uh, the we talked about like the fact that you know the time travel paradoxes and them having to break into the police station. I don't know about you, but I got proper sort of echoes of the matrix when you've got Keanu Reeves like um hiding around desks like shimmying around it's like no move to the left run as fast as you can to the office at the end of the hall no I was expecting him (laughs) um I mean that says a lot about his back catalogue but yeah I I love the and and uh Ted's dad because he features quite predominantly in both he's he's done some great character work over the years as well he's great in this film what's the whole business with his mum with uh, Bill's mum Missy. Missy what's going on so she was at school with him I think she's only a few years the, the joke is so she's only a few years older than them yes and she's so so yeah Bill, Bill's dad's remarried and I think she must be let's say in well maybe in her she's in her mid-twenties and they're yeah. obviously like seventy. Hey, Missy. I mean, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, the joke, the, the joke I get from that is that it's a girl that he used to fancy, who's now his mom. No, but I think, it's I think also, that's. A- but it's also the thing that she's like been with everyone as well. So when she like turns up at the high school presentation at the end, and she's going to the history teacher, like, "Oh, hey, how's it going?" And he's like, "All right, all right." <laughs> <laughs> um, the high school teacher, Bernie Casey, uh, also known as. Felix Schleiter from Never Say Never Again, but he's also in, he's been in like another like classic character actor. He was also in I, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. 
you can't say it you've got to see it <laughs> um but yeah that's the um getting to the big high school presentation which watching it back i thought this is a quite a big deal for like your end of year presentation having it in the the auditorium and what have you in but front of the entire school <laughs> in front of the entire school seems a little bit dramatic licensing but it wasn't always the way because apparently they did film um the original ending was Bill and Ted with all the characters just presenting in their classroom, the, the one that they're in at the start. Ah, right. That would have been a bit Casey. small scale. And they just said, yeah, they said even as they were filming it, it just felt flat. And then the film ended with um, them going to prom and they're in... These oh, is this the tuxes with the shorts? Yeah, so um, it was one of our... Which you, uh, you, you, you and I are now obviously going to use as our standard wardrobe for weddings. Oh, obviously, yeah. So the tuxes, tuxes with shorts. So, yeah, there's, there's photos online and one of our listeners, Trevor Alonso, who's um, on one of our... Long-time listener. <laughs> Long-time listener and one of our followers on Facebook. He very kindly sent us a bunch of uh, pictures... Um, and that shows them of that. Like, they're, they're, so there is footage of uh, that has resurfaced. I don't know if there's actual film footage or just the stills. Um, but yeah, they completely reshot that ending with the auditorium. But again, I think that's got some of the funniest bits. You've got the the high school jock, and I think I still use the the, the line of everything's getting smaller but larger. It's computers, and he's like. <laughs> such a jock jock presentation um yeah no i think uh in terms of the just to go back one second on that i've definitely seen the photo of them and the tuxes with the shorts i didn't know about the extra footage Mm. i didn't know where it originated uh i just thought well there's bill and ted wearing shorts and a tux i actually just didn't think twice about it (laughs) just made oh was that in a film well i mean maybe that's just what that that's what they do yeah that's what they do but the thing I love about the very ending when Rufus turns up with the princesses and it's basically Rufus, future pimp, sort of like, here are your new wives. And he's time, like, time pimp. Yeah, time pimp. But he's like, here are your new girlfriends. I've introduced them to capitalism and I've already got them in debt. It's sort of like, <laughs> Rufus showed us credit cards. It's just sort of like, zeitgeist. Buy shit. Just, just keep consuming. Keep buying. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's a shame that he won't be in the in the new one because obviously uh, George Carlin passed away. Um, was that late nineties, early noughties? He, he died. It wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't no, that long ago. Uh, I'd say early noughties, uh, maybe ten mm. years ago, maybe maybe a bit longer. I haven't, I haven't checked to be honest, but I do, I do, I do like his comedy. Obviously, very progressive, um, very. Um, Preachy, you could say, but in in a in a funny way. I actually like. He was a bit Bill Hicksy, wasn't he? He was a bit. Like, oh no, very, very, yeah, very much so. But I mean, he'd go he'd go off it. But I mean, he was basically trying to wake. It was very much people talk about being woke. He was very much trying to awaken people, you know. Mm. Um, but I just love his observational humor. He would do. Uh, a sketch on about how you know when you go about how we take shit with us everywhere you know like when we go on holiday and then if we have to go somewhere when we're on holiday we're taking mm-hmm. a smaller bag and smaller bag yeah he was um brilliant and an activist and and did so much and uh but i remember reading that they he was actually quite sheepish and professional on yeah yeah uh, bill, and they- ted, bill and ted expected him to be cracking jokes and when he was acting he was a very different type of character yeah, no, but apparently they were kind of expecting him to, uh, yeah, just to do loads of improv. And he was, yeah, a real, as you say, a real professional and stuck to the script. But 
apparently he was cast really late in the day. Like they'd filmed, they'd done a lot, most of the filming and they still had cast the character of Rufus. But first of all, I would need to get into some sort of like segment where we talk about alternative casting. Well, are we ready to do that on the first film? Yeah, sure, why not? Okay, we're doing a big. So this is time for coulda, woulda, shoulda. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So coulda, woulda, shoulda is when George enlightens us on actors, directors, musicians, hairdressers that were considered for the film but did not get the job. So, George. I'm not sure I've ever done hairdressers before, but uh, maybe I need to do more. I just want to throw that in. I just don't think people from the barbering profession, you know, get enough. They're saying that John Peters, who produced Batman and Wild Wild West, started off as Barbara Streisand's hairdresser. There you go. It's all connected. connected. Um, Anyway, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah, I'd say we shared on our Facebook page, and it's probably been doing the rounds on film Twitter, um, of the original auditions for Bill and Ted. So um, included in that, and I don't think they turn up in the actual audition footage, but apparently both Sean Penn and River Phoenix were auditioned for the role of Bill. The people that are are on the tape, poorly sure. Um, (laughs) Oh no, poorly sure. And a guy called Josh Richman, who I don't really know, they auditioned for the role of Ted. And I say you can see footage of definitely of poorly sure auditioning with both Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves in this footage. But yeah, it's the interesting one. Apparently, everyone who's everyone was considered for the role of Rufus and they were um and ahhing. They were like trying they were, apparently they were reaching out during filming and they were trying to say, Oh, should we try and get a big musician uh, to tie in with the whole music thing? So apparently uh, Ringo Starr and Eddie Van Halen wow. were, were considered Charlie Sheen. Apparently his name came up, which seems random. Um, Quite understandably, apparently Sean Connery was on the list as well. Can you imagine Sean in this? Well, yeah, because around this sort of time, you probably not far well, off. Well, it's Untouchables. Uh, oh, yes, of course, yeah. Highlander and Untouchables. Oscar winner Sean Connery. <laughs> How are we going to explain his Scottish accent? And oh, shit, we can't afford him. I imagine you yeah. probably said no. You probably said no to this rather than... Uh, uh, are there uh, many golf courses in Arizona? <laughs> What's the work schedule like? Would I be allowed to go out and play nine holes, for example? A quick uh, nine holes. So yeah, that is uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda for uh, for Bill and Ted. I say I haven't really got anything for for Bogus Journey. But speaking well, of Bogus Journey, should we? Is yeah. there anything else you want to say about Excellent Adventure? Before no, we... I'm ready to ready to hit the second film, and we'll do our special, our additional features uh, when we've covered both. Films right at the we'll end, talk yeah. Because right. we'll be talking about uh, facing the music. So, I have a feeling we're about to embark upon a most unprecedented expedition. Once they made history, I must see to it that you die now. They are history. Bill and Ted are dead. Welcome to hell. It's the Grim Reaper, dude. 
How's it hanging, Death? But they're having one hell of a time. This is not what I expected this place to look like at all. We got totally lied to by our album covers, man. Taking in the sights. Not bad, dude. We totally knew a guy got one of those in his bucket of chicken. Making new friends. Excuse us, dude. But is there any way we can get back? You may challenge me to a contest. J7. You have sunk my battleship. Best two out of three. What? Enjoying the family. No way! Invading the present. Playing <laughs> the future. You metal, dude! Excuse us, but your shoes are untied. <laughs> Can't believe you just mailed him death! And meeting their maker. Guy, congratulations on Earth! Not to mention your other great planets. Mars, Jupiter, Uranus. It's the comeback of all time. Best of seven? Damn right! Ah, oh, dude! Left hand red. Ah! Yeah! Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Um, is there much production chart? How did this film come to be? Is it, let's do another one? Pr pretty much. Um, but the main difference was Orion wanted originally their idea. Which they, More money. Oh, yeah, More they, money. <laughs> yeah, they originally sort of said to um, Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson, they were like, oh, well, you know, for the second one, wouldn't it be great that... Bill and Ted are kidnapping uh, characters from famous books, you know, like, you know, Tom Sawyer and things like that. And pass. Yeah. And, and Ed Solomon was like, well, whilst the literature idea sounds like it's different from time travel, it's basically the same thing. It's basically them going back or going into random like history yeah. history and then going back. So they were just like, no. And they had their idea they like the idea of Bill and Ted dying and go to hell. And they pitched that idea to Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. And they were like, yeah, that's, that's so much more interesting than the, the literature thing. So I think Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter pushed back to the studio and were like, no, no, you should go with uh, Ed and Chris's other idea. Uh, the original title, working title was Bill and Ted go to hell. But being America, uh, where hell is... It's a quite, swear word. It's a swear word. <laughs> they basically said they wouldn't be able to advertise a film on TV until after Watershed. So they quickly yeah. changed it to Bogus Journey. Director Stephen Herrick uh, decided not to return. He was doing uh, Don't Tell Mum the Babysitter's Dead uh, instead. And he said he felt just doing another one would be like a parody of a parody. So they brought in a new director, Peter Hewitt, uh, who is uh, originally from Brighton. So he's a British director and it was his debut feature. So he would go on to make a few other sort of comedies. He did Garfield, The Borrowers and British comedy Thunderpants. They've all slipped slip me by, George. I can't say I've watched Thunderpants, I believe, is about a kid who farts a lot and uh, a kid comes, another kid comes up with technology that can he, his farts power a rocket to the moon or something like that. This sounds like something I came up with in an English lesson when I was bored. This, this or, is I've, I've, I've been smoking fur, do I? Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's basically the gist of it. I mean, as we say, you know, in typical 
sequel sort of time, yeah, that two-year gap. But as I say, obviously, Excellent Adventure had sat on the shelf for, for two years anyway. We've already said it feels a lot slicker, a lot flashier. It's got double the budget, but I don't know if it's just because time's passed and it, and it just does feel a lot fresher as well. I think we turned a corner, definitely between 89 and 91. There was definitely some... <laughs> Even just like no, but oh, I say you know, it would have been the nineties. It would have been eighty-seven and ninety-one, but all that um, future stuff, you know, the the costumes, the sets, all feel so much more glossy and expensive than the three guys sat in, in a dark cave in the first one. Yeah, future. Our favorite bad guy from Lethal Weapon Two, uh, Joss Ackland. Yeah, oh, he's brilliant. Yeah, he's. Apparently, he hated working on, on this film. He, uh, his reasoning, he did the film because of a family bet or something. Yeah, and his, he, I mean, he doesn't have the nicest costume. I can imagine that I mean, it's, it's, pretty... It's very unflattering. He's basically got <laughs> a light illuminating his double chin. Yeah, yeah. So it's, and also just the boots, and it looks hot. You know? that, looks that's like... the other thing I noticed, the costume designer. Everyone's got massive boots in the future. Yeah, boots are big. Yeah, you have to do boots, boots are big. Headdresses, but you've got some. Um, or the the thing I noticed about this, and again, it's maybe a sort of watching it over and over again. But there's some great Terminator gags in this one. You know, yeah, yeah, robot usses. But this, I checked the release dates, and this came out well in America anyway. Two weeks after Terminator Two Judgment Day. So, oh right. That all of that channeled was maybe it's taking inspiration from the first Terminator, but it's brilliant at how on point it is, you know, in terms of the their cyborgs, the the glasses. There's there's loads of little little nods to Terminator, and when they're talking with you know in the different voices in the phone box and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, and they, they got that down to a T. I mean, I loved the um, the evil usses. They are brilliant, and, and and I love the fact that Joss Ackland, or was he called? Um, Denomalos, he gets just more and more frustrated with them. It's like, he, even though he created them, he's like, I hate them. I hate them so much. <laughs> I hate them more than the original ones. <laughs> it's like, it's so much great. Uh, I think you, I think they, uh, was it the same script writers? As the yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah, it's the same guys, like through and through. If, I don't know. I think, I think the, the jokes aren't as, um, I don't know. It just feels like maybe they're just in the groove in the second one. It's like, you have to do it faster. It's like, I'm trying evil. I'm trying evil tense. It's like the (laughs) fact that they refer to each other uh, by evil. I'm trying evil Ted. I'm trying evil Bill. And uh, it's just like... And 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 it's a fact that even though they're robots, they're so stupid as well. They're still stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And then Um, I think we have to talk about uh, who I think is the MVP of uh, the second film. Which is our friend from Die Hard Two? Is it William? You mean the the, 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 no. the Colonel, the Colonel from the, Die Hard Two, who has two roles in this film. He does, yeah. So William Sadler is no, he's. Um, I, I've got that in my notes as well. He is, uh, he is the MVP in this. He's brilliant as death, and he's he's clearly having so much fun. He's gone on to say on record that like it's probably one of the, the most fun he's had doing any roles, and it's. It's funny because I think he has done some sort of lighter roles. Like he, because I think he has more of a, 
I think he crops up in Shawshank and he has like a few one-liners and that. But obviously most people, as you say, will remember William Sadler from The Bad Guy from uh, Lethal Weapon, uh, sorry, not Lethal Weapon, Die Hard 2. And also he play, he crops up later on as the president in Iron Man 3. Iron Man, Iron Man 3. I, was just, yeah. I, I thought that was going to be my Charlie trivia, but obviously nothing gets past you, boy. Yeah, but yeah, and obviously quite uh, just talented because, like, if you look at the difference between the character of Death and what he played, the Colonel in Die Hard Two, I mean, that's range. I mean, just so comfortable with everything, like being effeminate with making jokes, self-aware jokes, and I don't know, it's just his humility in this yeah. film is is brilliantly done. Like when he's whether it's apologizing to God or he's like shopping for size in, yeah. or he's trying to rap. You might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later you dance with the reaper. <laughs> I, I think as you and I, the joke we used to still make, Butch and Sundance, the early years. <laughs> he's obviously been watching these films. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's interesting because I, I um, if you think about the timeline, I think Die Hard Two was nineteen ninety, and so he probably did this straight after Die Hard, and it's the same with Keanu Reeves. It's hard to believe that this is the same year and within a probably a couple of months between Point Break and this. I struggle to understand that, but the only reason for that is because I was thinking about this when I watched it, and the reason I have so much trouble imagining. Um, it's Ted Theodore Logan yeah. uh, as Johnny Utah is because the first film, the first film was four years ago and it's just that everyone, there's a lot of people out there who say that Keanu Reeves can't act and to them I point the finger at Robert De Niro and say like what is acting like if you're always the same in all of your films is it really that good but if you look it's just he does a very good job in the second film of being exactly like it was in the first film yeah. So he, he jumps back into the role and you believe that it's the young puppy, whatever. But it is, yeah, I mean, that, that actually, sorry, people, it's more evidence. Keanu Reeves can actually do the job of acting. Like, what is a good actor? Normally comes down to how much the audience likes him, how popular he is. And that's, I would argue, why big actors go on to make loads and loads of films. It's not because they're necessarily good at portraying a role, they're good at inhabiting a role and people like them for it. You heard it here first, people. Keanu Reeves, better actor than Robert De Niro. Uh, I would, I would say that. Uh, I would. I, I'm just messing with you. I would, I would actually say that Keanu Reeves has taken on a wider range of hey, roles hey. in his career uh, than Robert De Niro. I well, would, that's I would it. Say you know, taken, I don't know if he's done it better, but he's taken on much more different roles. Well, no, that's it. If you think about Keanu Reeves, and yes, he gets a lot of shit, and I have given him shit like but he has he's, he's tried to stretch himself you know he's done you know he did um whilst it is probably one of his most lampoon things you know he does um francis he did dracula you know f with coppola and you know working with one of the biggest directors of of all time or, or definitely at that time he did um shakespeare with with kenneth branagh for much do about nothing so he has tried to do other stuff apart from either surfer shtick or action hero, he has tried to stretch his, his rule. And, and it's funny, you, you sort of, you kind of um, hinted at it earlier on in the chat, is that he's so good at comedy, but he's done, you know, he's now so renowned for the silent assassin, the man, if you would, John Wick, you forget how funny he can be. And that's why 
watching, I, I, I'm probably getting ahead of myself here, but watching these two films, it's got me so excited for seeing, going to watch Face the Music because I want to see funny Keanu again. Yeah, just like, because uh, if you look at the comedy, that the, the, the lines of comedy that he's had in his Syrians type films, or the, the way that they've played on the, on the Keanu factor, like in, uh, in The Matrix, for example, you can say, whoa, and I know Kung Fu. They still go back to that sort of like, let's, let's make a joke out of, you know, like how he's just, you know, the, the, the relatable kind. But yeah, he, I'd, I'd say these days he's found out what he should be doing. You know, he's gone back to, um, you know, if you have you watched, uh, is it Street Dogs? That was the no. I would say the beginning of of, of his no. Renaissance. He's a bad guy. Was well, kind of like an I guess was it was not he, protagonist, he, and, antagonist, um, antihero. Great in that, yeah, anti. He's great in that, and this was just before. I think this was a year or two before John Wick, the first yeah. one. Um, and I think he made a few other. I mean, he's made a few turkeys in his in his career, and he he would admit to that. But I remember watching that, going, "Whoa, you know." And I think he's an alcoholic, and you know, recovering from, uh, uh, you know, accidentally killing someone or or something like that. And like, there's a lot of depth to his character. So, but no, just like uh, just like Robert De Niro, who I like to compare him to, um, he's gone back to roles that the people like him doing. You know, just keep doing yeah. the same stuff, please. Yeah, definitely. Um, I am going to convince you on this, George. I am. They're both. They're both good actors. Um, <laughs> but so, so we were talking about before we went on a, on a side tangent. We we're talking about death. Um, but one of the people that again, it's a small role, but I love so much, and I know you will is is Colonel Oates from Alaskan Military School. Brilliant. There's room for all of you. <laughs> I mean, he that guy's so like. Again, I, I I don't know the guy's name off the top of my head, but again, he's cropped up in so many films, and he's usually a bad guy, isn't he? Yeah, he just has that gravelly voice and that just sort of like bureaucratic sort of. Ugh. But he's brilliant and how, in it. And how are we going to get out of this? You know, there's that very much thing where they're like, it's all about it's that's brought from the first film, the whole military school. How are we going to get out of this, Ted? Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, t- talking about the you know, again, you touched on the first one to so Ted's uh, dad, the the police chief. He's br- <laughs> I, I forgot how good is the the possession scene. Okay, dudes. I mean, fellow policemen. My son Ted Theodore Logan and his friend Bill S. Preston Esquire have been murdered and replaced by evil robots from the future. You totally did it, dude. I totally possess my dad. And, That's uh, one of the best jokes in the film as well. I totally possess my dad. <laughs> um, and the, but no, but the, guy, the guy's acting. He's like, hey, guys. You know, yeah, the way that he's able... Can you do an impression of Keanu Reeves doing Bill? Sorry, well, doing it. Well, that's it. It's it's excellent mimicry, like the way how like loose his body is and his his arms and stuff. <laughs> and then you've got the sweaty guy from Total Recall doing Bill. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I love that scene. I mean, it is um, it is genius. And then you have Missy and her new age friends, which uh, apparently in that group of her, Missy's friends, they are the two writers, Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson, are t- the two guys in that group. They're the guys in the glasses, I think. Yeah. I, I was, yeah. Um, but are they swingers? They, they have lots of, lots of parties around at Missy's. What's going on? 
there was something going on there. There's something, there was something, they were all kind of loved up. I was like, are they, you know, are they, are they taking something? What was big in the eighties? Definitely. I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's, there's something weird going on there. And then obviously they have Denomalous, you know, arriving on their TV screens because that was the go-to media device. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we haven't talked, so we, we talked uh, briefly about uh, General Oates, but I love, again, the thing that I remember so much when originally seeing it and the thing that is a lot of fun is when they go to hell, the, the personal hells. I love how surreally they're shot there. It feels a bit, a little bit Tim Burton-y, a little bit Beetlejuice. Music video. Yeah, yeah, I, I felt that as well. You've got the really strong colours. You've got the weird sort of Batman 66 Dutch tilt, you know, weird angles and stuff. And they don't really give you like, obviously the, the, there's the, like the really fucking cre- creepy Easter bunny, the sort of like, yeah. have you been eating your brother's chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> the we always used to laugh at that. Yes, and or well, the thing that I think we said for years, and we still do, is you know, is Granny Preston kiss for Granny. I kiss, I kiss for Granny. I kiss for Granny. <laughs> and it's always getting oh. the, the camera's getting closer and closer to her mouth, and you can see the hairs and everything. Oh, yeah. it's I brilliant. Kiss for granny. <laughs> kiss for Granny. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, um, there's so much fun there. You've got obviously again, the, the stuff that's, um, iconic, the, the, the game, the games, not games of death, the games with death. Oh, they're uh, brilliant. Cause you just best three out of five. <laughs> three out of, best out of seven. Um, <laughs> uh, but apparently, and again, like I remember reading about this, th- that whole bit is a, a parody of a, Old, and it's an old film where they're playing chess film. with death. Yeah, yeah, so it's The Seventh Seal, which is an Igmar Bergman film uh, starring Max von Sydow, where, yeah, it's he's, a, uh, I think, a knight from the Crusades that has to beat death at chess. And so, obviously, they take that. But So I was thinking, it's a really niche thing. It's not something your target audience is going to get. But well, they had fun with it. Despite that, it works, doesn't it? You know, it's a lot of fun. Well, especially when they get because they get all the games at the moment, and then the, the fact that they've got um, oh god, what, they've got the American football. That was a massive thing at the time. I think it was even was it uh, not Madden's, but it was the the electric footballer sort of it's game. Spin around and stuff, yeah. It's been around, and then uh, Twister. And you know, you sunk my battleship. <laughs> but the other thing about the sorry to get really geeky for a second, but the thing about Twister, um, when they're playing Twister, and you can see what William Sadler is able to do with his legs, once again proves why he because he does uh, he's a Taekwondo master, and at the start of Die Hard Two, he is um, sorry, he's a colonel. He's the colonel. No, but he's in the, the first scenes when he's in the hotel room. Completely Billy Bollocks. You mean doing his, 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 na- his naked martial arts? You know, we've, we've he's all been doing there. George. He's doing Dangoon, which is the um, the pattern. Well, whatever you, whatever it is, the red belt that you and I did. Obviously, mm. you don't. Remember. Oh, obviously, I don't think I ever got. But it was. I just thought, how can you, you could see that in the twisted? Nobody can do that with his foot. And I was like, was it a fake leg? And it's like, no, no, he was doing this. It is impressive. It's very impressive. Yeah. Um, the other parody. There's like another very obscure parody. So when they get to heaven and they're talking to God at the the stairway to heaven, that is yeah. a parody of a British film, uh, A Matter of Life and Death, uh, which is like from 1946 with David Niven. Again, I haven't seen either. Like I had, I definitely had The Seventh Seal uh, on my Sky Plus box for a few years saying, oh yeah, it's supposed to be a classic film. I'll definitely have to take it. No, still haven't seen it. Still haven't seen it. 
Never um, going to watch it. Never going to watch it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do. I love the color schemes in this film. I mean, I, I love the fact that, that when they're dead, they're just like wearing the gray clothes and it's basically gray yeah. makeup. They've, you know, they're lost all color. I love the color of, you know, heaven's all purpley and lilac uh, yeah. yeah. Ultraviolet. Uh, and then there's, there's all this stuff. And for me, I don't know about you, but I find the ending a bit of an anticlimax. You, you get the station guys, which I don't find particularly, it's just, it's a bit weird. It's not particularly funny. Apparently the, the whole point um, that station came about was due to a typo when uh, Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson were drunk. They deleted a chunk of the script and they were like, I was supposed to say like interior police station and they, and all that was left was station as a bit of dialogue. And so they were just going station to each other, like really drunk and that, evolved into a character but for me the the whole like it's a little bit of a repetition of the ending of the first one obviously you know the big high school well isn't it it's yeah. battle of the bands but the confrontation with the robots the good robot usses versus the bad robot usses the more the time travel paradox it just feels i don't know for me i just felt like it's so strong like a good two-thirds but that last 10-15 minutes just falls a bit flat i don't know what do you think well also I know. I, I thought on today's uh, in today's world, you'd be expecting more in terms of um, the whole time travel thing going on. It's like that. Yes, that they do because it's. It, I don't know. It just seems kind of broken. It, it, I think on one hand, it shows that they don't. These are not two guys that really think things through. These are not two guys with a plan. They kind of react to the situation. So that's how they do the. That's why they do the things they do in the order that they do them. But yeah, yeah, it's the fact that it's, yeah, it's a, a public event. They have to, it's like, we need to learn how to play. Okay, let's go and learn how to play. Um, but yeah, I guess you were maybe expecting them to go into the future for some bit and to understand why they become such a big thing and then to go back. I think there was a lot, there was a lot, there, but that's us picking it apart. Well, no, it's, now. I, I, no I think um, it's apart from the initial setup of them sending back the you know, the villains from the future, the, you know, the evil robot, us as everything else is, there's no time travel. It's them going to hell and, and, and fighting through yeah. the, the afterworld. So it's, it's almost like an afterthought of, oh yeah, let's throw in some more, some more time travel. But apparently again, there, there's a, there was a lot that was left on the cutting room floor. So uh, there was a comic book adaptation that came out uh, around the time of release. And that includes, you know, a bit like, you know, you and I used to read a lot of film novelizations and they would usually be based on earlier scripts. So there was quite a few scenes in the ending. Um, so apparently, and I think they were shot as well, but the evil robot Ursus had this canisters inside of them that they bring out and it basically manifests their... Bill and Ted's personal fears. So basically the guys from hell, so General Oates, Easter Bunny and Granny appear in the real world to stop them from getting into the, um, into the battle of the bands. And there was a whole sort of action scene around that. I would have liked to have seen Gr Granny and the Easter Bunny being well, uh, big well, bad guys. More, more of all of them, really. And then apparently... And obviously, and obviously General Oates as well. Obviously General Oates. Um, and then apparently evil Bill and Ted kill Bill and Ted again. But because they've beaten death so many times, he owes them extra lives. 
So they brought back <laughs> so it's alive. So it sounds like there was a lot of cool stuff in there, but apparently when they tested, they simplified. Yeah, yeah they, they just simplified. thought it was it was too much. It was it was it was confusing people. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously, which is funny because I think in today's world, they'd ex- people. I think reason why you're making this point is that in you'd expect more now. You'd expect because this time travel, you'd expect maybe a double bluff. You know, there's a bit of that with the whole, I've got the key, we made the cage sort of thing, but there's kind of, it's a joke and it's yeah. fast. But you'd maybe expect a bit, another, like, how can I summarize this? In today's third act, there's typically more going on, I would yeah. argue. Uh, there's there's normally more, rather than it just coming, it's almost, maybe it's because we've, we've got to the stage where things can't be predictable. You know, that they have to be different, therefore films are more complicated, there's more going on or the stuff that's on the, as you're saying, that's on the cutting room floor in the second film probably would be forced in or padded out into a third film. Yeah, it just, it just feels like there's so much, so much world building in the first two acts, you know, with you've got heaven, you've got hell, you've got all these great things going on. You've got this great humor throughout it. You've got these... And then it ends obscure, up the ba- ba- battle of the bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got this obscure parody um, of, of films, you, you know, nobody's... See- well, the key audience hasn't seen. But yeah, then it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, we've we've turned up, we've got our own robots, they're defeated. They're defeated very quickly, and then obviously the Denomalus, or whatever he's called, turns up, and you've got, yeah, a little bit of... And a it standoff only- of sorts. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I think that was part of a reshoot, so that's why it kind of feels kind of rushed. I don't know. But I think it does have, uh, to tie this into, um, I think they have taken things, because they turn up, they have to go and learn to play, and then they turn up with their sons, and I think, I'm I'm assuming that this is what's going to be in Face the Music, is that the story is going to pick up, it's up on the kids, isn't it? Well, th- it's your kids, Marty. It's your kids. <laughs> um, no, thank thank you for that. Was going to be my next point because yeah, at the end of Bogus Journey, they go into the future and they co- for a year and they come back and they've learned how to play. They've grown lots of facial hair and they have what we think are sons because they're introduced as little Bill and little Ted. However, in the new Bill and Ted film, Bill and Ted Face the Music, they have daughters. Ah. And apparently that gender change is down, like the, the uh, Ed Solomon was interviewed about it. And he's just said, at the time, you know, we just assumed like everyone else did that they would have boys. But as we got older and as the culture changed, we changed and they did loads of, obviously they've done, they've had, you know, 20, pretty much 20 years of drafts and scripts for, for this new Bill and Ted. And they said they did originally start them out as having sons. And they just said that every draft we tried to write just fell flat. And they realized that the first two films were very male centric and they didn't like that feeling anymore. Obviously cultures moved along a lot. So they said that we felt that weakness in the first two movies we could overcome in the movie. So they've obviously flipped it. And I think it's Billy and Thea instead of, uh, Bill yeah. and Ted. So, well, we may as well, you know, start talking about the the new one now. But from what do you know? What do you know? Because I know very little. I know that they were quite. The only thing I I know about the new film, which I think fills me with some confidence, is that they were, and I got the feeling it was the creators and um, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter were very particular because, as you said, they had a lot of drafts. They've had a lot of options, and this isn't a. They, they've actually been thinking about it for a while. Yeah, I think I think they've been planning to do it for years, and 
I suppose it's a bit like train spotting too. They they felt like you there was no point doing another I don't think there was really any plans to do an immediate sequel because the way that Bogus Journey ends with them creating this sort of bringing the world to peace with through their music but they felt that there was a story to tell with them growing up and then maybe you haven't fulfilled your destiny or or something like that so yeah i think it's been definitely in the works for the past 10 years or something and Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter have been very adamant that if they're going to do it it's you know it's it's the creation of Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson that they all, they have to be the writers. They weren't going to let anyone else do it. They weren't going to let them reboot it. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know the exact ins and outs of who, who owns what intellectual property, but I mean, obviously we'll, we can, we can talk about the, the spinoffs now, but yeah, in terms of uh, obviously it's had a really weird because of COVID. Well, because of the, there's, yeah. It's had a really weird uh, release schedule. So in America, it's been released on video on demand. So most of our American listeners have probably seen it already. Uh, whereas in the UK, it's going to get a cinema release. Um, by the time this episode probably goes live, it has been released, but it keeps they keep changing it. Originally, it was supposed it was going to be end of August, then it was end of September, and now it's middle of September. So by the time you're listening to this, it should be out the cinema. Whether you're in the UK and comfortable enough to go into the cinema. Obviously, that's everyone's personal preference, but it does seem like a very odd decision to say, okay, in America, people can get it on video on demand and pay 20 quid to watch it or you know $25, whereas in the UK, it's just going to be in cinemas because, yeah, I, th- I think that might hurt its chances because it seems it's a shame because the most of the reviews I've read seem like it's it's a worthy addition. You know, it's a, again, it's, you know, as we talked about, it's a, a beam, you know, a beacon of light in very dark times that they're sort of optimism, you know, that line of be excellent to each other has never been more apt. Uh, more Labrador. We need more Labrador. Yeah, yes, that's yeah. It. yeah. No, but it's true. It's like um, I, th- I think, I think that it's what the world needs now. But no, I think we all need a little bit more uh, Bill and Ted. It's like we've had a lot of nostalgia, and um, I think if they can do an adequate job, I mean, these aren't the most complicated films. It's about two guys having to go use time travel to prevent a problem from happening which is like a lot of time travel films but normally it's more focused about their lovable affable fluffy type of approach to problem solving so and i think i think the majority of what people want to see is is let's see them together again on the screen together because they did have this chemistry it's not just it it is bill and ted that's it's in the name and and it's and it's seeing them we've we've seen keanu make a number of films and uh move very much away from this sort of surfer dude thing um let's see let's see how he did how he handles it now as i say i'm uh i'm really looking forward to it you know obviously there's there's a lot of films that have been postponed and everyone's like now tenants out. Everyone's looking forward to when Bond gets released in, in November. But yeah, for me, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see Bill and Teddy, you know, especially after revisiting these two films that uh, they, you know, they're not grounding, but they, as you say, they are, they're, they're not Robert De Niro films. They're not, they're, they're, they are, they are good films. <laughs> I mean, it's no Harold and Maude or Karate Kid, but, um, <laughs> There's a lot of warmth. There's a lot of 
great humor. I mean, I think from the sounds of it, you still prefer Bogus Journey. But for me, it's weird that how time's been different. I, I love the whole historical characters thing in the you know the fish out water setting, and I, I think I have grown warmer to the the first one rather than the second one, even though there's a lot in Bogus Journey that I like, and it's probably a a better made movie in terms of the look and feel of it. I think there's more fun in uh, and more I, I don't know i laughed a lot more in uh, revisiting excellent adventure well that, that's that's actually something that is true for me in that uh, i laughed more at the first one but it's because i don't remember the jokes as well whereas watching bogus junior i almost remembered everything maybe but that's I, it maybe that's i it. totally forgot that how the characters are established in the first one and as you say about the chores and about missy and about his dad and about the other guy's dad because didn't they swap mums or something there's something yeah, in, it, like, in the sequel. So, um, yeah, Missy is uh, Ted's, Ted's dad. The police captain is married Missy. Yeah. And, and Bill's dad is just like it's a just sad a, loser. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, maybe, I'm sorry, I'm going back to that one, but I, I, do, I do remember laughing more at Excellent Adventure this time. But I think that's probably because it, I'm just not as familiar with it as I am with Bogus. So shall we go to suspicious spin-offs? Because, well, I know we usually call them special features, but these are, for once, some very suspicious spin-offs. Shall we, shall we get cracking so these, with that? These, yes, yeah, yeah, let's go for it. Our so, additional features so obviously, suspicious well, yeah, we, spin-offs. So we're, we're talking about, we've talked about the, Related sequel, uh, Face of Music, which Charlie and I have yet to see, um, but we are looking forward to. However, I, I vaguely remember this. Uh, like every, like it seemed like every film in the eighties, early nineties had an animated spin-off. So there were, and some of them were really in, in a, well from inappropriate films. So there was a, um, a RoboCop animated series, a Rambo <laughs> animated series, Beetlejuice. Um, but yeah, so Bill and Ted got uh, an animated series. There was actually two series, but. The really interesting thing was that the first series, which was by uh, Hanna Barbera, which ran for 13 episodes, actually featured the voices of uh, Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, and George Carlin. So it had, you know, it, wow. in, all, in all the other ones that I'm sure, you, you know, you vaguely remember. The real always, Ghostbusters? Or, yeah, they uh, always had sort of like voice impersonators, like, yeah, do, do, a, do, do a Bill give Murray. Give me a Bill Murray. <laughs> do do a, a, a Jim Carrey, you know, for the Ace Ventura yeah. cartoon. But and yeah, the Mask, so, the mask yeah, cartoon Yeah, well. there, was a, there was Ace Ventura. I think it was the same guy did, did the voice. Was, I think it was the same guy who did Raphael in the Turtles cartoon did Jim Carrey in both The Mask and the, the Ace Ventura animated shows. But anyway, that's, that's another thing. That shows um, how big animated shows were, or yeah. successful movies. But then they, the ownership changed, then Fox Kids took over the animated series for a second season. I don't know why, for, for whatever reason, Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, George Carlin did not return. And I think it's because Fox, uh, the guys who are running it, DIC Entertainment, at the same time, we're doing a live action TV series with different actors. So uh, Christopher Kennedy and Evan Richards. So the guys, they did a live action series and an animated series. And the guys who were in the live action did, took over the voices. And apparently both the live action series and the new animated series were terrible. 
to reference that Simpsons joke that you and I talk about, it, you know, it's like today we're showing all seven episodes of the live action series. Apparently, oh, like, right. there, okay. there's, um, <laughs> there, there's a great video essay of it on YouTube uh, talking about the animated series and the, the live action spinoff looks awful. And they are like Bill and Ted. There's no, they are just played as clowns and it just, it looks shocking. But I might, I might put a link either in the notes on this podcast or, or on our Facebook page. But as well as a animated show, a live action show, there was also video games, playing cards, a novelization, action figures, and even a Bill and Ted serial. Yeah, serals. God, you, you know you've made it when you're on when you're on the front of a of a serial. They Did don't it taste do that good? anymore. Who, who cares? Yeah, they don't do any film tie-in. I mean, they'll do some sort of toy or promotion tie-in. I think it's looked down a bit on now. I think in terms of if you've got a brand, for example, like The Simpsons, you or Star Wars, uh, you'd expect there to be an unlimited amount of paraphernalia, memorabilia, whatever you want, merchandising until the end of time. But other stuff that's been and gone where you think that they're like, I, I give you an example of one, um, like, uh, where's my alien cereal? <laughs> nah, yeah, well, no, but not just that, but you know, when you like see key rings and, and like just useless, you know, so like little Britain went nuts in the UK, you know, that oh, comedy show and they had it, they went, they went and they were like, we've only got a few years of this. Let's merchandise the shit out of this. And I think that that's kind of why you don't see as many serial films. Speaking of which, I did, did see and had to have a conversation with my daughter recently. And she's like, Daddy, can we get the frozen cereal? I was like, no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> it's full no, of... No, jumping on that. No, full, full you of can sugar. have the dress. Full you of can sugar. have the dress, but yeah. you're, not, you're not eating the... Draw the line cereal. at frozen shapes. Excellent! Well, yeah, so I don't know when I'm going to see this this new film, but yeah, I think the reviews I've heard is that it's... it's Mainly positive. Uh, I don't think it's, you know, amazing, but I think it's a solid, as, you know, Empire would say, a, a you know, three-star movie, which is a recommendation. Yeah, I'd say I'm sort of cautiously optimistic. Okay, well, that was uh, our special on... Uh, unless you've got anything else you want to add, George? No, no, I'm done. I'll see you later. Okay, bye. Uh, no, uh, so that was our special on Bill and Ted's... Uh, both excellent adventure and bogus journey and next time uh do we have any idea what we're going to be back with yet george or do you want to just so so where are we well we will be getting close to halloween can we can we no we shouldn't tell them yet we should have a look i think apparently they're cancelling halloween in the u.s well well well, that's it and i I think we sort of need to apologize to our listeners and i think we did say this at the end of our last episodes that uh, yeah, we're, we're a bit scattershot with what films we're doing because obviously we had a lot of films planned um, and we would ideally, with some films, we want to record when we're together in the same room. And as Charlie and I live in different cities, different countries, that is just an impossibility at the moment. So we are changing things up slightly, um, but we're trying to keep things retro. We're trying to keep it fairly topical. Um, we've, got hundred, we've got hundreds of films in our back catalogue. Uh, I know that uh, th- speaking to our friends at uh, Paramount that coming to America is still definitely in, in line for Christmas. Yes. So I think I think I think we're definitely going to. That's probably going to follow. Uh, that's going to be around the sort of Christmas time. I, I would imagine because that's that a big is, film for us. Yes, that, uh, as, as, as far as we know, that is still going ahead. And yes, we are. We we will do coming to America the the original and, one. 
And more importantly, uh, even with everything that's going on, George and I do hope to be able to record that together. But the same room and cover properly and, and have good audio for you and maybe, you know, proper long uh, episode, that's probably the soonest that we'll be able to guarantee that. But hopefully it'll be sooner. Yeah. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And we will catch up with you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.